My name is Zach Como, and you're listening to the My Tech Decisions Podcast. podcast. Like I said, my name is Zach and I'm your host. This episode is about how to create the IT business plan that's right for you and your organization. To educate us about this is Brad Souza, the Chief Technology Officer at AVI Systems. He's actually interviewed by my colleague and my tech decisions editor, Adam Forziati. According to Souza, a large part of the equation is bridging the gap between the expectations of end users and the technology investment decisions made by IT leaders. Before we get to that interview, here's a quick reminder that the My Tech Decisions podcast is available on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Download and subscribe to hear weekly interviews with technology experts that can help you make the right decisions for your company. And now here's Brad Souza. But okay, so so Brad, I wanted to talk to you today about a couple of topics, but primarily, primarily among those, um, you know, IT project business plans are obviously going to change based on, you know, the project scope or the organization creating it, the company creating it. But in, in general, uh, what would you tell an IT director or project manager who is you know, tasked with writing uh, a business plan? Yeah, so um, probably the first thing at the top level that I would encourage us to have a conversation with anybody that's writing a technology-centric business plan is really around defining what technical debt means to them. And it seems kind of backwards, perhaps, but the idea is that there's, there's often a gap between what the users of whatever the technology is that you're trying to develop. Um, there's often a gap between those users' expectations of what that technology is supposed to do and, and what it actually does. And that gap the broader that gap, the greater the debt. And if you accumulate enough technical debt, it impacts future projects' ability to get adopted, get funded, what the priorities are inside the organization, all sorts of other things. So essentially, the debt ends up having to get paid down at some point in the future. So understanding what the, what the technical debt may or may not be and being intentional about, intentional about closing that debt is super, super important. And that starts with understanding not just the spec, but really understanding your users' expected experiences. That's the focus on it, not just the spec. That's kind of backwards for most IT leaders. We like to to think about it in terms of spec. We want to have a set of requirements. We distill those down into specs. And then we make a selection of what technology we want to use based upon how, ma- how well it meets those specs. And then we kind of defend that decision against all possible attacks because we made the right decision. It meets the spec. But often that doesn't actually satisfy the user's expectation. And then you create a gap. That gap translates into debt.
So similarly, but different, um, what should every business continuity plan contain regardless of uh, department really? Yeah, so, I mean, I think there's a lot of templates available as to what business continuity planning can look like. In its simplest form, I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to understand um, maybe three potential things. One is what's the business accelerators that we're trying to um, accomplish as a result of the technology plan that we're putting together. So it's really around this notion of uh, what's the outcome, what's the acceleration, um, what kind of adoption do we need to have to accomplish the acceleration that we need to have um, the business outcome we're trying to accomplish. It's really around that. The second thing is it's, it's around how do I, whatever technology I'm putting in place, is this, uh, is this a disruption or is this actually adding velocity to other technologies that I currently have? And good continuity planning um, essentially dis um, diminishes the disruption or, or intentionally introduces it because we know we need to get to a stated outcome but generally speaking is really meant to be accretive. It's meant to, to work with other technologies. And every time I add a new technology, it doesn't disrupt the previous, it adds velocity to it. So that together we get kind of a, a force multiplier, if you will. And, and then the third thing I would really focus on is what are the competitive threats to the organization or the threats to maintaining this strategy? Um, most I'm going to go back to the to one part of the conversation we just had, which is rather around project management. Most projects have a really defined start and end date with some sort of measurable outcome that that proves to us that we accomplished that the intention of the project. And what you get as a result of that are lots of starts and finishes, but not necessarily continuity in between them. And so the strategy has to really outlast um, any series of projects. And so the result of that is, are there potential threats that disrupt the larger strategy, not just the individual projects, but the larger strategy, especially as it relates to IT technology? So that's, those are kind of the three things I would encourage people to be thinking about as they're putting together a continuity plan. Well, that kind of... Uh transitions nicely into the next thing I was going to ask. Um, I, perhaps that is really. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm sorry. Hang on just a second here. Uh, so that transitions pretty nicely into what I was going to ask next. Um, could you provide any kind of, you know, rough IT business continuity plan template? If you're thinking about this, just like you were a moment ago, you mentioned those, those three uh, points, but do you have any other points that you would add if we're talking specifically about IT? Yeah, so, so we, we have a model that we follow. Um, it's, it's, um, it's loosely based on kind of an ITIL slash agile model. And the business, the IT service lines that we are in, there really isn't an ITIL model for the, for the kind of technology we support. So here's, here's the big layout. Um, we think that there needs to be three parallel paths as you're putting together a, a strategic plan an IT strategic plan. One is around the technology itself. The second is around governance um, and creating consensus across multiple stakeholders because a lot of times those stakeholders um, don't have consensus and common outcomes. 
Um, and the third is really around a human adoption track. And, and you need to progress each of those tracks in parallel with each other. And then there's very distinct phases. And the first phase is really around um, kind of architecting what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And that doesn't start with spec. So let me give you an example. In the UC space where we're often doing work in today, um, that UC space was um, in the old days, like real old days, like two years ago, we would have uh, all sorts of requirements and that would define a platform. You know, I'm going to down select a Cisco or I'm going to down select a Microsoft or I'm going to whatever it is. But um, today you, you almost always have to have an ecosystem and the way that the ecosystem is constructed is really based upon the business outcomes you're trying to accomplish and the sentiment and expectations of the user community. So the first phase of all of this is really understanding what the sentiment is and what the user community is expected to do. From there, you can then design um, this solution and then take it through a proof of concept, through a pilot phase, and then finally into a production phase. And as you're doing that across the technology track, you're, you're following the same kind of model, but you're doing it now around governance. It's, it's building consensus around the outcomes. It's during the POC and the pilot phase, you're really defining now how are we going to create compliance and governance so that when you get into production, you're not arguing, okay, these people aren't following the standard or the outcome that we're trying to, or the design we're trying to deploy. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to continue to support them? Are we going to close down all their ports on the network? You know, what is it we're going to do? And, and then similarly, you have a, a whole track around human adoption. And as you're learning how people are actually learning to consume the technology, that's driving best practices around how you create broad scale adoption. So those are the kind of the big chunks, if you will, of, of our model that seems to work really well. Uh, and then, then finally, are, are there any special considerations that you would advise for, you know, any contemporary IT department's business continuity plans or project planning uh, in light of the last year's, you know, pandemic and the effect that it has yeah. had on the economy and the IT world in particular? Yeah. So there's some really interesting things that we've learned as a result of the pandemic. Um, one of the things that we've learned is that uh, we all we all thought in the beginning that we were going to lose productivity. And we actually haven't. In many cases, we've improved productivity across the workforce. So uh, we've, we've improved productivity in many cases. But what's declined is actually the purpose of work, especially amongst younger demographics. You would have thought that maybe the older demographics would have struggled with working from home. Turns out they can get the work done just as well any place, as can younger demographics. But the difference is that uh, we've learned uh, across the workforce, when you're working uh, from home almost exclusively, you tend to lose the purpose of your work. Your work doesn't seem as meaningful anymore. And so that's going to that's gonna translate if we don't find ways to create community and reconnect with the purpose of work, that's going to translate into a retention problem um, later next calendar year if we're not really focused on resolving this. This is a, a this is one of the driving considerations on how you design um, new IT or new technology uh, applications within the next 24 months. I'll share with you. I'm kind of looking at your face. You want to talk about that a little bit more, or is that 
I think you're muted. I am, I am sorry. I, I was just actually okay. just taking notes on the topic, so that's why I had yeah. like a stare. Uh, okay. Uh, just sort of focusing on getting no, everything. No, no problem. Page. Uh, would love to talk about that a little bit more. Um, can you give any kind of example about maybe what you would consider changing at your organization based on those differences sure. among demographics that you've seen? Sure, sure. So, so we're learning. We've had there's a growing body of evidence that's available now that is beginning to suggest that uh, Gen Zers and Millennials, in particular, those demographics in particular, um, continue to be highly productive. They can they can get their tasks done. They can do all of the work that they're supposed to do, but the value of work to them is diminishing over time as they work uh, more and more isolated from home. That kind of makes sense, right? So I'm I'm a baby boomer as an example, and and I was taught when I was in grade school the economic problem we were trying to solve at that point in time was how do you scale industry? So I was taught that that independent work was highly valued. So when you say to me, Adam, hey Brad, I want you to solve a problem, I immediately interpret that as okay, I'm going to leave the meeting, I'm going to go do my research, I'm going to define, I'm going to talk with others. I'm going to define what the best solution is to the problem. I'm going to bring it back to the team and I'm going to prove to you this is the best solution based upon the number of facts that I have. But a, a Gen Zer or millennial, they've been taught that community work in general is more valued, not independent work. And before, if I was to say to a, a millennial or a Zer, hey, I want you to work on this, solve this problem, before the conversation's done, they've started crowdsourcing that problem out to others. And, and they, as a result, work really strongly within a community. And um, they will bring their best solution back to the team and say, this is how we should solve the problem. Not necessarily based on the number of facts, but based upon the number of people that agree with them. So community is highly valued. Community work is highly valued within those demographics. And we've created work environments that help those demographics create a sense of community work. We've got open spaces, we've got places, open tables where people kind of gather. And, and then during COVID, we've deconstructed all of that and said, you need to work by yourself now. And just doing it on Zoom or Teams or WebEx or whatever it is, doesn't actually meet the requirement of proximity and having this access to one another. And so, the value of the work that they perform, their perceived contribution to the organization diminishes as a result of that. And that's that's kind of the idea. That's true in our organization. I hear it from people I'm mentoring all the time. It's true across multiple industries. Um, I don't think it's industry specific. I think it's more demographic specific. And those that are younger, the, the number one thing, or not the number one, one of the most consistent messages that they give is that I've lost my connection with a sense of mentorship. And they they describe it as a productivity problem, like I, it's tough for me to schedule meetings, but what they really mean is I've lost proximity to people who can help elevate me and help give me a sense of community that I'm working within. Well, as a millennial, I can relate to many of the points that you're bringing up here. Um, Interesting, right? Yeah, very incredibly. And it's also refreshing to talk to somebody who is older than myself, who is very self-aware of, of these uh, these aspects. Not everybody is. Um, in light of everything you just said, do you have any recommendations for, um, you know, IT, you know, business yeah. planning that might solve uh, the, some of those issues that you mentioned? Um, 
in light of the fact that most businesses seem to be on a, a hybrid or continued remote work kind of setup for the foreseeable future? Yeah. So here's some things that we're thinking about on a regular basis. So number one, I, I think that I think that the hybrid workforce is going to go away. Here's what I mean by this. Hybrid is going to be stricken from the phrase and workforce is just going to naturally mean hybrid. So recognizing that hybrid is going to be the workforce, that now brings a couple of really interesting challenges to us. One is um, we used to be concerned about how do I bring the office to the home? Now the question is how do I bring home to the office? And that reverse kind of thinking is going to create spaces that attract people to come and collaborate and connect with one another and restore a sense of community um, in the workforce, understanding what we need to do to attract people back into the workplace, not just provide them a place to go do work. And so um, if we're successful at that, that's going to help us restore that connection to community and purpose of work. Um, the second thing is, is that um, I, I would share with you that as we build these, uh, this new generation of workspace together, that's going to now give a priority on the hybrid connection. And this is what I mean by this. So prior to the pandemic, um, you and I might be in a conference room with three or four other people, and then we might have one or two people join in remotely. What that really was, was that the decision-making was happening in the conference room and the observance of what was of the decision was happening by the remote contributors. Or if there were a SME, in the conference room, we would have our conversation and then give permission to one of the remote workers because they're a specialist to contribute on their area of specialty. That's got to change now. It's got to be everybody is peered, no matter how you connect or where you are. And the fact that people are meeting together in a common space doesn't necessarily give them a priority or precedence over those that are connected remotely. Now it has to be everybody together. And if we can accomplish that in the way that we design spaces, the kind of technologies that we use, the workflows that, that knowledge workers go through, that's also going to create a sense of community in the workforce, which is now natively hybrid. And that, that's kind of the concepts. Those are two really big concepts that I would encourage IT leaders to be thinking about these days. Thanks for listening to another episode of the My Tech Decisions podcast, where it's our mission to help you make technology decisions for your company. If you would like to learn more, head to mytechdecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at mytechdecisions. You can also follow me on Twitter at ZWCobo. Until next time.